We're back into the book of James. I'm loving James because, as we as we said, it is the Ron Seal book. You know, it does what it says in the tin. doesn't doesn't pull punches. We're just straight in, and I love it. Um, so we're going to read a little bit of chapter three, and then I'm going to try and keep this pretty punchy because I'm going to spend a bit of time taking communion together and not rush that. So let me read this to you now. This is referencing back from the start here, in the beginning of chapter one. He's saying, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach, i.e. people like me, will be judged more strictly. Oh, what a blow. <laughs> um, but that's, that's, that's the context of this chapter. So pay special attention. If you're here and you aspire to be a preacher or re-engage in preaching or lead a small group or take responsibility for anything in the church, this is especially for you. But it's also got some brilliant principles for all of us. So um, this is verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And as I looked at this, I really did feel for today to emphasize on what humility might look like. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Do you know what? Just as a little pause and an aside, direct and aside directly related to the passage. One of the biggest killers of people's ministry could be in a workplace, could be in a church. Actually, one of the biggest killers of heart and character is comparisons. Honestly, it's a nightmare. I've seen it chew people up you know you look at someone and instead of celebrating their gift think oh I could do better than that oh why they got that position or why are they speaking at the front and not me it's comparisons why have they got a big house and I haven't got a big house why have they got that car and I've not got that car why why are they friends with everyone and not me and it chews your heart up like like a like a this does not happen so I can use this example. I could, be, I could look at Andy Kind, who is um, the best dressed man today in church, but also, and I will say this is absolutely true, he occupies some of the biggest platforms in the biggest churches in the country, not just doing comedy now, but preaching the gospel. And his name is mentioned alongside other evangelists. And I'm an evangelist. I'm sort of a mix of things, actually. I'm like a bit mixed up. I'm not just an evangelist, just an evangelist. I'm a mix of things. If I had comparison in my heart, I'd never have asked him to join us. And the church misses out. So I can say, oh, I don't want someone there who could, who could be, everyone would love more than me, be better preaching than I am, better preaching the gospel than I am, wins more people to Christ than I am. How sour and sad would that be? But what it means is you don't, you don't ask him to come and join the team and we lose opportunity to do more. A wise person, I'm not, not self-appointing myself here as wise, <laughs> that would not be humble, but let me, it's very awkward to navigate this. A wise, a wise person tries to surround themselves with people that are more gifted, more able, and better than them. That's a secure person. Someone whose heart is full of jealousy and bitter envy and selfish ambition never does that. And weirdly, doesn't actually get very far, or churn staff. You can tell someone who's secure by if they've got old friends. 
and people surrounding me are more gifted and able than I am. I'm thankful that I have got friends that go back many, many years have been putting up with me for decades. Think about your own life in that regard. Do you surround yourself with people who are better than you? Do you cheer people on? I'll never, ever forget, and apologies for having mentioned this a couple of times over the past, I'll never forget going to Champion of the World at Wembley Stadium or Arena, whenever it was, years and years ago, and Graham Kendrick was at the pinnacle. He was doing March for Jesus. Millions of people were turning up around the world. And, and still today, as I mentioned the other week, it's a national holiday now, March for Jesus in Brazil. Such is Graham Kendrick's influence in worship around the world. And he stood on that platform and he said, I'm praying that there will become a generation of worship leaders coming up behind me who will accelerate and go beyond anything I've ever done. And what I found out was that he actually was a bit of a mentor. It's people like Matt Redman and uh, Tim, what's his face? Hughes, that famous worship leader, Tim Hughes. And actually he was a mentor to them and he meant it. And I had the privilege of meeting him many times over the years and he meant it. He's a humble man, he wasn't jealous about his position. That's the attitude that we're looking for. If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Why is it demonic? Because Satan, and he is against us, and he is out there, he's working against us. It's not fiction. We have a personal enemy set against us. And he will assign his demons to find a chink in the armour. And most people's chinks are not the obvious ones. It's, it's the, little, the little tiny chips in your character. I call it being chippy. The little chippiness. And he'll find it. And he'll, he'll, put like a, he'll put a little bit of a tip of a screwdriver in and he'll pry it open. He'll try and get more and more entrance into your life. That's how churches divide and split. Bitter envy, selfish ambition is totally, totally demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Why do you find disorder? Because everyone's trying to pursue their own agenda and do their own thing or carve out their position. I've seen it. Like Instead of like all putting together, someone's saying, well, if I get into that, I get to do my thing, create my kingdom, my empire. You can't achieve anything like that. Unity, and unity comes out of security, and unity comes out of just wanting the best, the best for Jesus, the best for the kingdom. And I'll be honest with you, although I find myself leading ministries around the place and pioneering things, it's not ever because I've wanted position. Karen will tell you, in my heart of hearts, there's a bumble around the house, looking at me tortoise, loving spending time with my old dog. Got a new cat coming on Tuesday called Spencer. I'm calling Spence. Just, I just like hanging around with me pets, looking at me books. I've never done anything to get to a position, ever. God shines a light. And if he turns the light off, happy days. I do this because Jesus loves me. I'm passionate about salvation. I've never, ever done it. I'm honestly not in it for the big money. <laughs> and we're not, we're not in it for position. If anyone is, that those, those churches never get anywhere. And what I love about this church is, and the leadership team, no one's in it for position. The team we have at the moment, it's a beautiful thing actually. I mean, Steve, maybe you won't know this, you know, as I keep saying, 
best Bible teacher in the church. There's a pure Bible teaching. Just smashed it with a Bible course. He's washing pots in the pub during the week. He's not in it for position, is he? Now, me and Andy chase around trying to get extra work so we don't take funds out of the church. No one's in it for position. It's, it's got to come. Your, your desire to be at the front, your desire to teach or to lead has got to come from a genuine heart to build God's kingdom. Otherwise, the enemy just gets in there. And this is what it says. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I'm just going to say four brief things, very brief. Just a lesson generally on humility. I think it's honestly been slightly misunderstood and I do want to emphasize the whole humility angle. Sometimes people will say things like, oh, you did a really good job this morning, Andy. That was brilliant. And someone tries to be forced to go, oh, no, it's all God. Oh, no, it's not me. Actually, um, I'm not convinced that's totally right. Um, I'll tell you why. Years and years ago, when I was 30, I took over as senior pastor at a Baptist church in Essex. And the church experienced this explosive growth. Um, it was really great fun, actually. And uh, you know, people were getting set free. It started to come alive in the Holy Spirit. And people were being delivered and healed. And it was just a beautiful time. Loads of people getting saved. I think in the last year or there, over 90 people got baptized. which is, It was a fantastic time. It was just, just full of fruit. Anyway, I went to this conference run by this super Pentecostal church. And I was just exploring these things. And... Um, this, this person tapped me on the shoulder and I looked round and it was this African pastor in all his garb. Well, I think that's a technical word for cultural dress. And, and he said to me, he went, I can't, so tempted to break into accents again. No, I can't. The Lord is displeased with you. And I went, what? He did. And he looked at me with this intensity. He went, the Lord is displeased. And I thought, oh, I'd better repent of all my sins, known and unknown, in case he starts exposing them. Because I was actually sitting there eating some king prawns uh, around this beautiful dining table. I had king prawns and langoustines and everything. It was beautiful lunch. Put me right off my lunch. So I looked at him and said, why is he displeased? And he went, because you're withholding the testimony of the good things that God is doing through your church. I went, what? And he went, you're demonstrating a false humility. I went, what do you know about my church? And he said, what the Lord just showed me is I walked past you. I said, what's he showing you? He said, people are being healed. People are coming to Christ. You're planting congregations. He said, one, I'm going to read about the ministry you're involved in. If you hold a testimony, God won't get the glory. You're holding a testimony in the wrong way. I thought that was really interesting. Like, speak out the good things that God's doing. It goes wrong when you're pointing it all back at you. We point beyond ourselves to Christ, don't we? So Jesus is doing amazing things. So what happens is, so Andy, that was an amazing preacher. Oh, you know, it's all right. No, they say, God really moved, didn't he? He was good. Then you're speaking up faith. It goes wrong when you're pointing at yourself. Do you see what I'm saying? I think we should be excited about what the things that God is doing. When Andy stood up this morning, he said, pray for a bloke when he was going out to buy a top hat. <laughs> the best thing was a top hat. <laughs> no one reacted. I thought it was brilliant. But that's because if I say I was buying a top hat, like people think what's going on. People expect you to buy a top hat. 
That's actually what's happened. Last week we were in York again. He bought a, top, a, a bowler hat, and it, it suits you. I look really weird. I look. I should be locked up when I put it on, just like for insanity. Anyway, um, um, this story. Pray for someone, and their back was healed. All right, and they didn't want to come to Christ or anything. What we should be doing, in my opinion, is radically celebrating when we hear good news. If we say someone's got saved, punch the air. If, if you've got a story where God has healed someone, we should be punching the air because this, this is this, the Advent, amazing. Jesus touched the earth, came and lived amongst us. When we see someone being healed or someone being saved, this is extraordinary. And when a church tries to act in humility in the wrong way, we are dour about it. Jesus healed five people. Limbs grew back. We're going, yeah, good that. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's amazing. Now, I don't want to create a panto atmosphere where it's all a bit false. What I'm saying is sometimes I think good, godly people are frightened to over-celebrate in case we become arrogant. And we don't want arrogance. We don't want pride. It's why we don't, we don't have smoke machines and glitzy lights. We don't manufacture anything. But we can be super excited about the good things that God is doing. That is not you not being humble. Just before I want to put it out there, we do want an atmosphere of celebration and blessing as well. Here's what I think. Uh, true spiritual wisdom from heaven that comes from, uh, humility that comes from wisdom from heaven is this. Number one, you are teachable. I think. This is in context of our church. I think it means you are teachable. It means you are not rigid. It means you've never stopped learning. Things go wrong in church when everyone digs their heels in. I have arrived at the truth and nothing will move me. I think that's fine for the primary issue of Jesus Christ. He's a son of God. He lived, died and rose again. On that, I'm pretty unteachable now. I think I've arrived at that conclusion after over a quarter of a century following Jesus. Actually, 30 years of following Jesus. I'm pretty rigid on that. I was rigid in some things over the years. And that has caused harm and pain to people and can cause division in church. Uh, just speaking very openly and vulnerably about it. When I first came to Christ, I came to Christ in a brethren assembly, which I thank God for. Ron Blows, little Ron Blows, because <laughs> the little man, the pulpit was set up for him, it was very short. Um, Ron Blows, immediately, this is what the brethren were good at. They'd see young men, particularly young men, is the reason I mentioned that, come to Christ and they would get their arms around them and they would teach them the Bible. So he used to take me back on Sunday nights to his place. We had cheese and biscuits and Ribena. I can never forget it. Ribena, in my opinion, needs to be made quite strong, does it not? It's watery Ribena, which is why it stayed in my head. Watery Ribena with extra mature cheese and slightly stale wafers. Terrible. But he opened the word of God to me. For months, for months and months, he took me through the scriptures and he gave me a passion for the word of God. From a reformed conservative point of view, which I mostly at to this day. But one thing he did teach me was that women 
should never occupy a platform or the pulpit or teach. They were very, very strong on that. And women could not be elders in the church. And I held that position. You'll know now, obviously, this church has never held that position. Well, not formally, anyway. And um, I, I, I held that position through many years because I didn't know any better. And they taught me that the way they read the scripture was the only way to read it. Even through Bible college, I got into conflict with people. This may surprise you. I went to Bible college for three years. And learnt theology and everything. And I came into conflict with people. I even considered leaving a Baptist union, which I'm not in anymore anyway, uh, not for many years now, but over that particular issue. And then one day, I was listening to a Bible teacher who had changed their position, and I thought, well, that's interesting. And I started reading books on it. And do you know what it did? It really wound me up. I started to feel angry about it. How can they believe it? How can they be such a liberal position on this? But something was pinging in my conscience. I didn't rush to change my position, sadly. But in the end, many years ago, I did. And I had to go to people that I'd actually prevented from going into ministry and repent. If you remain unteachable, you can never actually listen to any viewpoint or read the scriptures differently. And when my eyes were opened and I started to read the Bible slightly differently, it blew my mind. And I still want my mind to be blown. So if this is uncomfortable for some people, no, you're very welcome. Good morning. Can I have one sugar in mind, please? And um, you'll know now, we, we have women on the leadership team. And we're trying to ask some more women to come on the leadership team. And um, we have women preaching at the front. They're, and I've announced in the front many years ago, there's no barrier to anyone, any gender, serving the Lord in this church. That's our position as a church. If I was unteachable, that might not be the case. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, what I'm saying is, whatever your viewpoint is on something, if it's not a primary issue, be prepared to listen to people. Do not be fixed. Don't be rigid. Because you might be missing out on something beautiful that the Holy Spirit's doing. So I'm not saying be, like we're creating a church where things are wobbly because we are solid on the primary issues in this church. We are members of the Evangelical Alliance. I was on the Evangelical Alliance Council for 12 years. We're not liberally weird. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is let's remain teachable. You can tell when people are not teachable because they've already come up with their answer to something before the other person's finished speaking. You ever met someone like that? I'm sure no one is like that in this church. But have you ever met someone where someone is, they're, they're, they're dying to get their answer out before you've even finished speaking? The wise person, the humble person, listens carefully to what someone's saying and processes it. The humble person doesn't leap down someone's throat as soon as they say something that they don't agree with. A humble and wise person has an air of peace about them and they're teachable. And do you know what? A teachable person is prepared to be wrong. Do you know what I'm not liking about this general election? It's got dirty. It's dirty. It's slanderous. And the latest thing is digging out things that people have said on both sides over 25 years ago. To reply to them on Facebook, I went, I'm so glad no one's dug out what I said 25 years ago. Because you would have heard that I didn't like women preaching from the front. 
People are allowed to change their views. People are allowed to be broken. I don't like it because it's dirty. But you know what also I don't like? I've never heard a politician, please, if you've got an example, share it with me. I've never heard a politician saying, do you know what? I think I'm wrong on that. What a good idea that other person's got. What? Everyone would go, wow, wouldn't they? What do you think? They'd be like, amazing. God, do you know what? Do you know what? Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, what a, what a good idea. Well, can you imagine Corbyn saying about Boris, oh, do you know what? What he said about that? That's quite good, that. What I say to people is, oh, it's quite good what that person said. I'm going to nick it and include it in my own ideas because there's no copyright in the kingdom. Yeah. And if you've got, because it's not, is there? There's no copyright in the kingdom unless you're publishing music. Yeah. But um, uh, aside from that, um, I think one of, the, one of the most releasing things I've ever seen happen. So leaders in the kingdom stand up and say, oh, yeah, got that wrong. Sorry about that. Oh, that building we're going after, obviously we heard that wrong. That's humility. Teachable, willing to be sorry. Number two, people who are humble and not worried about position will go wherever the Lord tells them to go. They are a chess piece. Big platform, small platform, background, foreground. Do you know what? When you die and you go to heaven, Jesus, he's not going to worry about how many people sat in front of you when you were speaking. He's not going to worry about how much money you had or didn't have. He's going to worry about your heart and whether you were, what other phrase I wrote down here? I wrote it in pen on the margin of my Bible. I can't read me writing. Ah, submissively ready to be deployed. Wherever God calls you, submissively ready. Your life is submitted to Jesus Christ. I once, I might have mentioned this before, I once took an 18-year-old kid to India with me called Jamie. We had some fantastic banter. A brilliant trip. And then my mate Prem split us up into two. Jamie to go to one venue to preach and me to go to another venue to preach. I was senior pastor of a large church. I thought I was quite important. I'm with my young assistant Jamie. I've mentioned this to some of you before. Jamie got taken to the church of several thousand. I got taken to a group of eight women. And I was proper chipped up. I was. I was all neggy and chippy. I was like, oh, why is Jamie got you being changed? I was even dropping hints to Prem as you're bimbling along. I'm like, do, do, do you think it's a good, good idea that Jamie goes to the big one? <laughs> I'm going to go, oh, yes, sorry, you made a mistake. But he never did that. I'm like, properly annoyed. All neggy inside. Why has he got the glory sock? Because this church is going to too. They're like people being freed of being demonized and the lame were walking, the deaf were hearing, the blind were getting their sight back. And I turn up and there's eight, eight old women sitting on the floor. And, and, and then um, I stood up to speak and Jesus, by the power of his spirit, spoke to me. Do you know what he said? He proper tongue-tied me. He went, so you're not happy to be here then, son? And I was like, <laughs> and, and, and Jesus went, how come it's good enough for me to be present, but not good enough for you? That was a gutter. <laughs> there was. It was a proper gutter. I was like, oh, no, Lord. And I felt it say again, well, I'm here. How come it's good enough for me? Not good enough for you. And then I found out why the women were sitting there. 
There were secret believers who were being beaten up by their partner, their husbands, for being followers of Jesus. And some kicked out of their homes and some had their lives threatened for following Jesus. And I found out that they took me there because they couldn't trust a young bloke to go there. And all I was worried about was the numbers. What an idiot. I felt so humbled. Can I just say this wasn't last week? This is quite a long time ago. It's like nearly 20 years ago. If you are submissively willing to be deployed anywhere, to go wherever Jesus calls you and to do whatever he asks you to do, you'll have untold adventures. Untold adventures. You don't want the most gifted and most able. I am living proof of this. There are more gifted and able preachers, Bible teachers and leaders out there. Loads of them. you just got to be willing to say, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. And Karen and I have said that to Jesus. Are you here? Call us away. We'll go wherever you want us to go. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. Somebody might go, oh no. I hope you are. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> we're staying. But, but we've all got to have that heart. Then Jesus can use you. Thirdly, humble, wise people have the fruit of the Spirit. They are selfless. And generally speaking, they are very easy to live with. They are full of mercy. They're impartial, sincere. They're peacemakers. We sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. To me that means they are very easy to live with. Hands up. No, don't. Who knows? A prickly person. Let me tell you something. There are lots of prickly people out there. I call them prickly pants. I do. I even like, when me and Andrew are communicating, I'm like, is that, is that a prickly pants type person? Because sometimes you get really chippy answers from people across the country, not locally. Maybe once or twice. Some people are ready to be offended at a moment's notice. And anything you say is like, they're like, like, they're like got thorns on them, haven't they? You can get like that when you're having a bad hair day. I'm growing my hair, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to have many bad hair days coming up. But a lot of people, Rex, you're growing your hair too, aren't you, mate? Well done, brother. So, <laughs> someone once said, people are like porcupines on an iceberg. They huddle together to get all warm and cosy, and then they prick each other in the face. When they do so, it's like, oh. As soon as you get close to people, everyone can have a prickly day, can't they? Everyone, everyone can have a prickly day. In fact, Rebecca's laughing because she had a proper prickly moment at me when I, I announced that this morning we were having a soft start for church. <laughs> she went, I'm not having that, she said. <laughs> start on time. I was utterly terrified. I just said, I said, I said earlier in the prayer meeting, do you know what, I don't think I've got any fears apart from death by a shark attack and Rebecca telling me off for not starting on time. <laughs> Um, and I said, do you have a strict, do you have a strict dinner time? She went, yes, I do, yes, 6.30. We don't get fed. That's proper good, that. Prickly people is not Rebecca. That's just a terrible example. Prickly people, I think they journey out of a place of insecurity. Sometimes inflated ego. Sometimes not dwelling in the peace of Christ. They don't want to be right all the time. They put themselves at the centre of everything. And therefore everything's potentially offensive. Don't, don't put everything about you. It's actually called narcissism. It's all about you. It's all about Christ. 
Seek to be a blessing to other people. Live a selfless life. Don't be ready to be offended so quickly. Just take a deep breath. You take yourself away for a moment. Calm down. I've literally, there are some people that I've met. Like I held a door open for someone recently. I held a door open at a shop. And they went, you didn't need to do that, I can do it myself. <laughs> I would describe that as prickly pants. What is that about? And we don't want that from kingdom people. Kingdom people are not prickly. Kingdom people are merciful. They believe the best. They give the benefit of the doubt. They consider others better. Like Jesus in Philippians 2. Actually, consider other people better than you. Beautiful words, actually, in Philippians. If I just get my marker to it. Hold on. Listen to this. Therefore, if any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common showing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There it is. It's not about you. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. I love this image of the Trinity. The Father saying, Son, it's all yours. It's all yours, Jesus. Everything belongs to you. Everything is made through you. And Jesus is saying, No, but Father, it's all about you. You're, you know, but the Father's going, no, but you have the name above every name. Every knee will bow to you one day, Jesus. Like, oh, but I only want to do your will, Father. It's amazing to get anything done, isn't it? <laughs> Properly loving each other, honouring each other, building each other up. What is a church like that does that? Not worried about your position in it. Worried about Jesus and his name. I think that's an absolutely beautiful thing. Finally, I've got this quote. Ben, did you manage to get this quote? Did it, did it come through all right? I've got this quote uh, above uh, on my Twitter feed. I'm trying to get a poster made of it. Actually, I probably need to talk to... Do, Rebecca, did you post this? Brilliant. There you go. Job done. Um, now, you can change... The reason it says man is this is actually a quote by Ronald Reagan. And he used to have it in the Oval Office. There is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind, who gets the credit? That's humility. God can use you for anything if you don't care whether you're, you're the name star or not. There are several events around the country that I've been working on that my name actually could be at the forefront, but they're not. I'm doing one in Scotland at the moment putting other people's names on it. Because you're not going to break into Scotland with an Essex accent. <laughs> Who knew that? So I'm not bothered about my name being there, but who's raising the money? I've pulled the team together. I'm zipping up and down the country trying to organise it, sorting everything out. It's only happening because I'm making it happen. And I've brought my Scottish brothers on board from another organisation. My name's not associated with it too much. It just asked me to preach the gospel, but it's going to be Mark Paulson's name is there. There's no limit to what you can do. 
where you can go, if you don't mind, who's a star. Because ultimately, Jesus is a star, isn't he? And too many people put themselves front and centre and it's an utter, utter nightmare when that happens. Finally, I did say finally, but I just want to say this. If you're sitting here suffering from feelings of comparisons and you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm a, I'm a little bit prickly actually. I, I'm, I don't mean prickly days. Well, I really suffer with jealousy. Do you know what the best thing you can do? Start saying good things about other people. Publicly. It's, a, it's the best way to deal with it. If you're jealous of someone, big them up. Honestly, you kill it overnight. If you're prickly about people, um, I would say go and serve them. Just get your hands dirty. Do something nice and kind. The other thing you can do is start to walk a mile in another person's shoes. Imagine what their day's been like. So we don't get road rage, do we, Christians? Because you always think, we don't get road rage, do we, Christians? Because you always think, what a blessing we can be to that other person. I wonder what sort of day they've had. You know, Christians, when they get carved up by someone, they never snap back, do they? They pray for the person who just did that. Not that a meteorite falls on their car. We go through life being a blessing, don't we? Here's the thing to remember. There are no good people. You are not good. Some of you are quite nice sometimes. There are no good people. If you were good, you wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need his death, and his resurrection. You wouldn't need his forgiveness. Once you remember you are not good, and you are redeemed by a saviour called Jesus Christ, you stop putting yourself at the centre. He is at the centre. He's the only one who's good.